0: So t- tonight I'm going to talk about purgatory. <laughs> I have fun coming up with titles. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I, I wasn't sure, but didn't the Catholic Church of, just a very few years ago um, abolish purgatory, or was it for Unbaptized children, unbaptized children <laughs> no longer go to purgatory, right? Now think of that for me. <laughs> for centuries unbaptized children have been destined to go to purgatory. And think of the pain of the adults that were told that. Now, 20 centuries later, they decided, no, that's not the right doctrine. What about all the bodies? I mean, it's just, just from a concept. You could feel the sense of destruction in that. But that's not the purgatory that I want to speak about tonight. I don't really uh, think that, that we're that we're um, that this is as yet a spiritual age. It's uh, it's evolving in that way, partially, uh, partially uh, th- through the necessity of evolving out of the um, these sort of material way that we have been uh, working the world and our place upon it. Uh, But we haven't completely evolved out of the need for the sense of luxury and comfort, as I mentioned last night. And we are somehow stuck between two worlds. And the, the world is the, the, the um, confusion is that part of us genuinely feel the necessity to change and move into the, our hearts. And we feel pretty much finished with our old way of life. <clears throat> and yet there's just enough pull to that old way of life, it keeps us from being completely resolved in our determination towards the new way of life. I think that this condition, in some ways, was summed up by um, St. John of the Cross when he talked about the dark night of the soul. That both worlds um, have both an allure and an aversion component to them. Now, let's just take this retreat as an example. We enter very much uh, at the service of our minds. We have left our worldly life, which is set up. The environment is set up to enact and to uh, to uh, invest in that. Thought, uh, induced reality, and to keep us within its momentum. That's, that's the way it's set up. That, that's the way you have a market economy, uh, that is threatened by simplicity, obviously, or renunciation, obviously. And so it's set up, it's not, uh, malevolent, it's just that it's set up to engage the mind towards desire and fear. That's the way it's set up. Or we wouldn't buy anything. And so it's a mind driven world. And we are the products of a mind driven world. When we're out there, we ruminate, think, reflect, uh, engage intellectually. Uh, and the cathedrals of our time are our, uh, higher, our institutions of higher learning because that's the thought has its own. Um, its own is is the monarch of our time. And so we come from that world uh, and very much uh, at the sake, that world lives very much at the sake of its heart. It's not a very heart driven world. Its momentum, its pace, its beat is mind driven. It's its way of thinking and futuristically, its expectations, its hopes, on and on. It's all mind-driven. And the sake of that is that there's very little genuine heart connection. There are attempts in that direction because we feel our lives to be very dry when we are completely devoid of any heart. And many of us feel that longing and so we try to instill Some genuine heartfelt contact within our life. But, and some of us are successful in that. Probably many in the room are. But most are not. Most are are simply not. They're too busy. And you can feel that quality when somebody sincerely would like to connect with you, but when they do, you can see that their mind, that they're thinking about something entirely different at that point of connection. That's purgatory. Because they're in, in neither world. They're trying to address one world, but their mind has kept them, uh, very distant from that world, and thought in the thoughts of their world can't land and settle to really allow attention and listening to occur. Now we come from that world. Uh, very invested in our minds, into a world, into an environment that is totally heart set up. This is set up totally for the heart. In fact, we have eliminated, there's no stands out here to purchase anything except a (laughs) t-shirt or an apron. Hardly the the Kmart of our times. (laughs) The food is nourishing but simple and well provided. There are no uh, inducements towards entertainment. There's no music, television, no movies. There's no iPods, hopefully. (laughs) There's no stimulation. None. All the things that keep our minds so transfixed in terms of thought and in movement, in the beat, uh, is not here. But that doesn't mean we show up with our hearts. Just because the environment is heart in, uh, induced, we show up with our minds. That's purgatory. You show up with your minds, and you and you don't have the accommodations that allow the mind to have any traction and to move and we suffer and it's like what did i do this for and there is this this uh wiggling writhing almost in pain of of the of sort of cold turkey right in which we are now in a, a an environment completely devoid of all the stimulation all the things that made us feel good Which is what the mind continually tries to do. So you have to understand how the mind works to understand how it it, what what is its absence of mechanism here in this environment. Yet this is the intentionality of this environment, not to stimulate the mind. I ask you not to read, not to write, not to engage intellectually with through conversation. And everything's falling flat. See, the mind is like going from a hot pool to an icy cold one. And for the first two days of retreat, it rebels. It's like I'm I'm get, I'm out of here. I don't like this place. I don't like you. I don't like the person next to me. I don't. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> and we just are in pretty much agony until this astonishing evolution occurs in which suddenly, since our mind can't get any traction, it starts to quiet a little bit. Its objections fall away. That is, if you stay, if you hold your place, and if you're aware of your attitude, which will keep you very distant for a long period of time. But, for most of us we we know what we've we've done this before and there is a gentle sloughing away of our need for mental attraction. And something amazing starts to happen. We switch organs. <laughs> because this is a heart environment. And what was An environment that was so conducive to the mind in our daily life wasn't conducive to the heart. This one is. Vice versa. The figure ground switch. So now we are in an environment in which the heart frolics, can flower. And it comes out. Once the mind knows it has no attraction, ceases its constant objection to have something to do, and starts to settle... That is often two or into the third day of the retreat. Now, suddenly, a dim- there's a dimensional shift. It's not that the mind goes away. It just has a background. It's a background white noise instead of a foreground directing noise. And suddenly, there's this wonderful simpatico with ourselves and the surround. We start noticing things that we didn't notice before. We start appreciating life in ways that we have missed it. Suddenly, rain, which was an annoyance because it wasn't what I expected, a mental attitude to an environmental uncertainty, starts to be appreciated for just the sounds of it, for the alluring quality of it, for the the intonation of it. For the rhythm of it, for the rhythm of it. And the flowers, the trees, everything starts becoming alive in some way that is now very much appreciated and activated at the source, at the source of our hearts. And we don't really realize what happened. We say, I don't know what we say. What do you say that happened there? This is what's really happening there. And we don't. We just kind of say, "Well, now I've gotten into the retreat, like it was your doing." <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the rhythm starts going. And if you can, you you could stay on this retreat for as long as the mind doesn't jump forward. If we, a week, two weeks, ten weeks, three months, you can extend it. But Lurking in the background are latent tendencies for the mind to jump forward. And to start feeling, is life, to start questioning the realm of the heart. And it questions it uh, very systematically. Is my life being useful this way? Is Is it valuable? What's going on here? Is anything really happening? Doubt. It brings forth its, its warriors of doubt and uncertainty, confusion, and because it's so different than the backlog of conditioning that we've had to this point, which has been mostly mental, almost entirely mental, it's been, it's so different that it's confusing at some point. We can do it for a week, but we can't make a life out of this thing. And I, you can't tell you how often I hear, well I can do this for a week, but you know, I can't go back and live this way. Why can't you? See, so you can't come up with a reason why you can't. You're just sure that you can't. In fact, you could. But there's a lot you have to step out of in order to do that. And the logic and and fixation that the mind has given us about what is the necessary way to live and to be useful in life is one of the high hurdles of getting over that. But we don't look at what it is that challenges the heart. We love it when it's here. We love it when it's here. And we feel very um, connected And very um, in harmony, at ease, relaxed. All the, in fact, you could walk through the ten paramis, and you would be walking through the qualities of what a retreat allows to spring forth from us: generosity, natural ethics, patience, wisdom, energy. You'll see that you sleep less, not more. Why? You should be so bored that you just want to sleep all day, shouldn't you? Mm -hmm. Wouldn't that be the way the mind would work this thing? When nothing was happening? It would just conk out. But you see something else lightens up. Something else comes forward in this. But what happens is that we get... We don't ask the important questions that allow this to move forward. It can't stay in a conditioned environment for very long because the conditions of this environment change we leave here we go away and even within this situation mental challenges will arise as they already have in which you know damn him for and what's he doing you know that kind those judgments the mind is is just quieter not completely quiet and it'll come out of its Cave in a rushed, frantic way if it gives you, if you give it half a chance. And if one of your buttons are pushed, that's the half chance that's necessary for the mind to take control over here and for you to reevaluate the whole retreat is worthless because he wore white socks. <laughs> or I got the wrong yogi job. So my question is and I think an important one is if we're going to move this forward we can't stay in purgatory. We can't stay between heaven and hell. The hell of the mind and the heaven of the harmony of of our hearts. And those two environments are so conditioned for that purpose and that's why uh, nature draws us out just to take a walk in the woods, you know, when you're in the city life or if you've been in the city life for too long. Just having some access, having a potted plant, for God's sake. <laughs> Anything that gives me some sense of relief to this concrete world. All created by mind. And this is all natural. Organic. You see? And so what do you think comes out in this? And what do you think comes out in concrete? We do it to ourselves. Now the question is, can the heart come out in concrete? You know the mind can come out in nature. (laughs) We don't really have to explore that one. So it can come out anywhere. It can certainly come out here. And will and we keep working with it but if we don't have some sense of how to move this thing forward into in our life and through our life by challenging and looking at what it is that seems to obscure it to sense us back rushing up into the opposite organ because what it is for most of us is that we're In purgatory, literally, we don't know whether we haven't made up our minds and we're kind of sitting on the fence as to whether to give our life over to all the things we were told in school and by our parents uh, and on and on of what our lives should be about and what we feel in every cell of our body what life could be about. And we don't know which way to go. And besides that, our image is at stake because we have gone through perhaps education or job training and this threatens that. And so we have to look at the value and the limitation of each organ's trans... trans, um, how it's uh, holding us in place. Now, most of us are very good at looking at the limitation. We know the limitation of the mind. We've been watching it for two days. It's noisy, it's, it's ceaseless, it chatters endlessly, it tells us stories that have nothing to do with reality. And it is so absurd sometimes that, that you just can't believe you ever listened to it in the past. <laughs> Isn't that true? It's like, but we do, and we continue to. Why is that? Why it is, is because we haven't seen the value that mind based living gives us. We're afraid of that one. We think if we really look at this thing and see what the mind gives us that entices us, then that will convince us that that's the right organ to invest in. And so we shy away. We can we love the limitation because that proves the Buddha's point, right? Chattery. Yeah, my mind's so chattery. My mind's so chattery. It makes us wise, you know. Your mind's chattery. I my mean, mind's terrible. I'm like, I'll give a Dharma talk on how chattering the mind is. But what what do we like? What do we get from it? What do we get from it? What do we get? We live most of the time in it, and therefore it's predominantly the style we choose, why? Nothing's forcing you to do that. You could be a monk or a nun. You could choose to be on retreat all the time, many of you. Why? Because we're getting something out of it and we haven't pursued what we're getting out of it to its end. You have to pursue what we think are the advantages it gives us to its end until they're Until we have bottomed out in that line of reasoning and thinking. And many of us have felt the rub of it, the discouragement of it, the limitation of it, but we haven't bottomed out in it. We haven't, we are, we are still drinking even as we're going to AA. So we cannot be afraid of this question. What does the mind give me? And you know what? It gives us everything. When you start looking at what it gives you, you start fearing not having that. Shall we just go into some of them? It gives you meaning. It sets the whole world up in terms of meaningful pursuits, purposeful living, having a fulfilling life. It gives you the ingredients for that. It gives you happiness, uh, entertainment induced happiness. It gives you stimulation. It gives you a strong sense of who you are more than anything. It gives you an assured place in life and it gives you a very strong sense of yourself within that assured place. You are fixed within a coordinate. It gives you the coordinates of your own location. Are we willing to look at that level? At that level of enticement? Because unless we do, we can just pretend all we want, all we love the spiritual, but we'll be in purgatory. We have to finish this thing. And the Buddhist message, which is so relevant, but so doubted, is that whatever the value will pale by comparison to the limitation. Whatever the value the mind gives you, if you look at it closely, you'll only see pain associated with that value. You'll see pressure, you'll see tension, you'll see anxiety. You can never rest because to rest is to become complacent in a world that will run over complacency. So it means continual movement. If you've written one book, you've got to write another. If you have one grant, you've got to have two more. Or what happens to your profession? What happens to your reputation? And what happens to you when, you're, when there's quiet? Quiet. And what about the value and limitation of the heart? We certainly have a sense of its value. Many of us love the sense of harmony it offers. Many of us love the uh, heart qualities that emerge when we are quiet. Many of us have a deep appreciation for the love and beauty that is so, feels, makes us feel so connected. And continues as the mind quiets more and more. That sense of connectedness continues, continues, continues until there's an explosion of it. And that we can sense in ourselves. The body can sense it. The mind may be far from it, but the body senses the possibilities here. But what are the limitations? Well, the limitations of the heart are the advantages of the mind. It doesn't give you prominence. Position. It doesn't give you a degree. You can do this for the rest of your life and you won't even get, some, you won't even get a statement on your wall. How about that, you know? 35 years, nothing. <laughs> Who honors that right and it doesn't give me a strong sense of myself in fact it takes that away it starts weakening the grasp of the, sen- the resisting sense of self it starts weakening the grasping sense of self yes I get harmony but what good is harmony if I can't tell people how harmonious I am If I can't brag about it, if I can't talk about it, if I can't give a Dharma talk about the harmony, and I'm showing the harmony. What good is that? See, the Buddha says, if you look at the heart, the value of the heart, Far exceeds the disadvantages. Because the disadvantages are disadvantages only from the mind's point of view. Or only from the sense, and behind each of those is the veil of difficulty, of pain, of suffering. But we don't want to look too deeply because that would shatter our life. It would destroy the fabric of our existence. It would make us... Have to rearrange ourselves, and my god, I'm 60 years old, or I'm 50 years old, or I'm 40 or whatever age. I can't do that now. I've got children too, I've got. And so we remain in purgatory. And so we don't really show up. Not full hearted. Because to show up, show up would be to bottom out. If we really showed up, cellularly, showed up for even a moment of our life, we would have to commit, we would have to devote our life. Because showing up releases all tension. It's a complete, it's a hundred percent. But we're partially there. So we'll show up fifty percent. That means when a really seductive thought comes along, I'll choose it instead of my breath. And stay with it. Play it out. And then come back to body, to breath, to whatever. It means really being attentive. It means entering life itself. Standing upright. Abiding therein. But we... The hedging. Uh. So what we do is we say, I'll commit to being here. Which means our body will be in place, but not our minds. Well, I'm showing I'm spiritual, because I'm here. Seven days, I'm here. I do the sitting, I do the walking. It's just as my body's in India, my mind's in Indiana with my boyfriend, girlfriend. See, the heart scares us. The fear scares We're aware of the limitation, uh, the value of the mind and some of its limitations, but it's recognizable. I've lived this life now. And it's, you know, I can work the levers of this thing. I know where I am, who I am, where I'm going, what I'm doing, you know. And to enter some kind of nebulous innocence, vulnerability, wonder, Well, that's, that's for the, I don't know who it's for, but the, one, the hermit. No, not for me. Not for me. So what I'll do is I'll come and make a demonstration of my spiritual life, but be in purgatory. Does it sound familiar? To all of us. What's going to make a difference to us, for us, with us? If we're not willing to ask the important questions about the hold that we're in. And as I mentioned last night, many of us have developed a spiritual hold because of our number of years of having done this is very easy. We're in a rhythm as if ease had anything to do with the Dharma. That's not the quality of a tension of alert that's, that's needed is to become comfortable within your mind. This is radical. This isn't sleepwalking. This isn't decorating a room and lying down and enjoying the sights and smells of uh, incense while chanting plays in the background. <laughs> and it's available. That's what's so. That's what's so shocking, because at some point you will do it because you'll have to do it because you'll be forced by ever-growing sensitivity to pain, which you all are gaining, even as you think you're not. What's happening here is that you're gaining a greater sensitivity to pain, and at some point, that'll push you into one direction. It'll be the direction of the heart because the pain will be coming from the direction of the mind. And so when you go through that, you'll be giving up that particular locus. And then you'll have at some point, whether it's now or some other time, I don't know, it can take a long time if you don't ask the questions necessary to move us forward. Those questions are, is this true? Is this worth, Are the is the payoff worth the punishment here? What am I getting from this? Experientially, not intellectually. Because the heart has to be exposed to this. What is this? Questioning, looking. And then, as we move forward, the effects of stillness on us begins to affect us. The less resistance, the more stillness. The more stillness, the more the heart comes out. The, the door of the heart is the door of stillness. It comes out in quietude. Noise obscures it. And so we wonder why we're so noisy when we sit down is because we intentionally obscure the heart with our thinking so that we can keep it at bay so that we don't have to look at it thinking is self-induced we do it intentionally and although the mechanism was long ago set in place now we're just dealing with the effects of const, of the constant jabbery that we have we invested in ourselves Why? Because the heart lies one concept away. One word away. From all that noise. But that's just enough to seal the tomb. So that I can stay myself. Stay isolated and very separate and very distinct and in complete control. That's what we think. And when we're quiet, it gets fuzzy. It gets... My story goes away. And What? What What about my abusive mother? I can't just forget her. I can't just release her. I've got to carry her with me for a couple more decades. Punish her mentally as if she were being punished. Get back at it. I hope we're seeing a little bit of the ridiculousness of the situation. See we we can't let go of it. We can't let go of our history, we can't let go of our future. And so now is this is this thing this moment of time between then and will be. And as quick as we can move over that, the more our mind is in control. We bypass this very quickly. Now is has no nothing to do with anything. The problems I've come from and who my personality and character is, that's the past. And the childhood and all of that, and I totally accept it and I'm, you know, I'm like, this is who I am. And the future gives me some possibility evolving out of it. And into something else. And so I'm looking ahead of the future, but I'm totally chained to my past, and I'm trying, doing all. So that's the. But now, what's now have to do with anything? But from the heart, it's everything, it's everything. The mind limits it to a get over this thing, get over that period and into the next sentence. The heart takes that period and extends it to infinity in either direction. And the spiritual resolution is stopping all movement away from now. All journeying away from now which is the mind's attempt to constantly do. Because we, the sense of I, the sense of I need some sense of progression about it. Left on its own in silence, it starts melting. To keep the thaw from happening, we have to stay in the sense of abstraction. Because that's where we live. That's where our lives are based in abstraction. Show me home right now. Show me your former moment right now. Even a moment ago. Show it to me, please. Show me where you're going right now, please. You can't point anywhere but now. Every word that comes out of your mouth is now. Every thought that occurs is now. This is entirely make believe. This is entirely fiction directed. This has this mentally derived sense of a dimension is entirely fictional, entirely fictional. But so satisfyingly fictional so um, comforting to know that I had a past. To cease all journeys away is a resolution. To cease all journeying away. And all of Buddhism is meant to cease all journeying away. So that we're out of purgatory, and the quiet becomes so still, so immense. The job is done. We wonder how we could have fooled ourselves for so long by thinking a life that never was and a self that never could be. How could we have done that? Wanted to play God rather than be God. You can feel it, and then we know contentment because there's no more movement. There's no more purgatory. There's no more half. Our devotion isn't half-hearted. Full-hearted. And then we're right with the sounds of the night. Let's not stay in purgatory anymore. Let's move. Come on. Let's resolve this thing. It's going to happen anyway. You can't help it. It's whether you want to suffer more and then resolve it or do it now and not suffer. (laughs) It's going to happen. You're too far along for it not to happen. You can't stand purgatory after a while. It's like, get off the dime. You know, we all know what we're doing. And all it means is bottoming out to the issues so that there is no need, tendency, desire, longing to go back at all. It's finished, it is over. Seal that tomb. Now let's see what awaits us. Thank you all. Can we just sit for a moment or two?